0: Thanks for joining us on the Catholic Gentleman podcast, where we discuss what it means to be a man who lives with virtue and how to actually grow in holiness while living in today's world. We cannot be ignorant to the fact that we are living in battle constantly. It is also incredibly important to be aware of the tools and the means that Satan is using today to keep us from that reality, as well as keeping us from living in the presence of God. Our guest today discusses how his life was converted from being agnostic, living in the world, and striving for money and prestige, to becoming a priest. And now a man helping as many as possible learn to how to live in the present moment and how to fight this battle. His direction is powerful and presented in a way that you are not used to hearing. So stay with us. Thanks for joining us in another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are so blessed that you have decided to spend a little bit of time with us. We are also incredibly blessed to be joined by Father Ken Geracy. We'll talk about him in just a little bit. But before we get there, The Catholic Gentleman Plus is live. We are entering into our fourth month. Head over to CatholicGentlemanPlus.com. You can get dozens and dozens of content and free books and uh, exclusive material just made for men to help them grow in holiness very systematically, very structured in a way that we're not able to really get into here on the podcast. We do talk about spiritual warfare. It's coming out, I believe, in February of next year. We've got a whole... um uh, month devoted to spiritual warfare that we'll be talking about in this month right here we're talking about our lady we had uh Gabe Castillo and a phenomenal talk there so we encourage you in addition to uh it providing you a ton of amazing content it also supports the Catholic gentleman so we can keep on doing what we are doing so as I said earlier we are so incredibly blessed to be joined by father Ken Jucy I've known father Ken for a few years we don't get to talk very frequently so this new book is really exciting but also what he's involved in is really exciting. He has a, a, an amazing conversion story of uh, basically uh, Saint Augustine. Right, you're living a a life of business, a life of worldly pursuits, um, which seems so tantalizing to to our emotions and our thoughts and our desires and wishes here in the world. But then you had this conversion, <clears throat> and when you converted back to Catholicism, you didn't um, you didn't just become uh, a man on fire for Christ. You decided to take it a step further and do that and become a priest. And a priest for a really fun order, uh, the Fathers of Mercy. And maybe fun's not the right word, but a very unique order is probably the better word. So, So Father, we're so excited that you've decided to join us. How are you feeling? How are you doing today?
1: John, thank you. I'm doing fantastic, and it's great being with you and Sam. It's a really privilege to be here.
0: What a blessing. And so uh, the first question that I would like to ta- chat with you about is that conversion story. I'd love to hear about your conversion, uh, what you were doing, uh, what the world didn't offer you that uh, the church in her magnificence uh, was able to provide.
1: So, so you made the you use the word that I made decisions to to come this way, and and I have to tell you, I never wanted to be Catholic, and I never wanted to be a priest. I never had a good experience in either, um, and it was the farthest thing from me. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic family where we went to church every Sunday, and it was a typical nineteen eighties nineteen nineties Catholic family where you just went to church on Sunday. You know, we never prayed together. We never read the scriptures. We never, you know, went to confession or daily mass, prayed the rosary, none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I knew nothing of the faith, fell away early, probably in high school was, was when I kind of just, just gave up on it and just was forced to go to church. But then my senior year of high school, I embraced agnosticism. And as I was, you know, embracing this, just avoiding all things godly and religion, uh, I thought money would make me happy, and so I went off to college. I was th- living in Texas, right down the street. There you go. Yep, it was a great time. So uh, I went to Stephen of Austin State to get my uh, degree in business, and I got recruited out of college my senior year because in in 1998 I, I did a little research on the internet for our business department, and I was the only one who was looking in that direction. And so uh, a company came and asking if any of the people in the marketing department had primary market research and technology experience. And I was probably one of the only ones. And so I was recruited out of the school and we were doing advanced R&D on MP3 players and eBooks. Okay. This is before Kindle existed. that's right. I mean, it was before any of this existed. And uh, the group that I was working with, brilliant people, our claim to fame is that we had the very first working prototype type of what is today the iTunes store. Oh, wow. uh, we Yeah, we had the first ability to sell digital content securely over the internet. So uh, we held those patents. Um, shortly after, not uh, probably about eight months after working there, uh, my boss, I graduated college and my boss approached me about a new idea for a software company. And he said, I can't pay you, but I'll give you ownership in exchange for your work. So we got to keep our paying jobs, uh, but work nights and weekends on this new project. I said, sure, why not? And uh, in that process, uh, we developed the product, and the venture capital firm liked the idea so much they invested four and a half million dollars into our project. Right. So, um, my ego was the size of the state of Texas, um, <laughs> but my boss brought me right back down to earth. Not long after that, he and I'm going to summarize three or four conversations into just one or two sentences. But he effectively, Mike, my boss, and a devout Catholic approached me and said, "Ken." Professionally, I have no problem with you, but personally, I do. When we're with other people and you see a Christian symbol, you make a Christian reference. But you've told me you don't believe in God, you don't pray, you don't go to church. And can some of the stories you tell are unbecoming a man, let alone a Christian. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you said, I'm curious, which is it? So that was the beginning And so my first conversion, and this is what I, when I specifically want to do men's retreats, because this resonates so deeply with us men. My first conversion was a call to authenticity and integrity. Just to let my yes and no be no. Who am I as a man? And just live that authentically. But then Mike went one step further. He invited me to come to mass with he and his family. And I saw the most brilliant engineering mind I knew kneeling before Jesus in the Eucharist. Now, that did not convert me, but it does give you pause. Shortly after that, God flooded my life with amazing men and women, Christians of all sorts, a couple Mormons. Mm. And and I began this deep dive down this, this rabbit hole of studying uh, spirituality, God's existence. And so I literally went from agnostic to I was spiritual for a while, uh-huh. um, you know, had a yoga mat. Um <laughs> Uh, was spiritual and I, so i went from agnostic to spiritual and then studying world religions jesus was the only one who claimed to be god so started there christ won me over and then i was evangelical christian and then ultimately found my way back to catholicism and then i was on a date when i realized i was supposed to be a priest
0: oh, you're on a date wow oh,
1: that's great
2: uh, wow what an amazing story uh, God's providence in your life, just kind of drawing you step by step back uh, to home to the church. But I I have a question about this idea of like uh, authenticity and integrity. You know, like there's a lot of uh, you do you or celebrate yourself in our culture today. Um, And it's kind of like uh, the message is supposedly be yourself, be authentic, all of these things. But I have a feeling you're you're talking about something a little different. So I'd love to hear you expand just a little bit on what that meant in a, in your life and how that was uh, a, a key part of your conversion, like really starting to um, live in in a truly authentic
1: way. And, and if you could expand on that, no that that is a huge philosophical question because the reality is is that I I literally had bit into that notion of in all you've got to do is be a good person. But then as again, and I didn't know this was contemplation at the time. I didn't know it was God asking me the question versus it bubbling up for myself. But at a certain point in that challenge of authenticity and integrity, um, I kept saying, all you have to do is be a good person. But then the question came, according to who? Mm-hmm. Because, because I've got certain people like in business that I worked in, that would not hesitate to embezzle money, would not hesitate sure. to lie, would not hesitate to to blatantly deceive a client to get a contract and said, listen, we'll make it up in the aggregate. Um, you know, when you have this notion of the, the ends justifies the means, now you get under the slippery slope. And so the question is, does truth exist outside of oneself. And if anyone here is is questioning this, if, if this is touching someone there, I would encourage you not to look at the Christians, but I would encourage you to look at Socrates. Because Socrates' journey was the study of virtue. What is virtue? And how can I live it? And, and he was constantly seeking something outside of himself because the the ancients found it outside of themselves. Now, if you want to get to the punchline, it's the perfection is revealed in Christ. So you know we can cover a large gap very quickly together.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's 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 really. Um... Powerful and 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 actually, I will. We'll continue down this this road here because you said you know we'll make it up in the aggregate, and I think that that's kind of an, an American notion that also bleeds into our spiritual lives, right? Where there's this idea of like, yeah, I'm going to be able to live this way. I'm going to be able to do this thing, or hey, I'm generally a good guy. I mean, I still go to mass on Sundays and things like that, but um, but w- we calculate our life's existence. As if we're meriting, you know, enough to get into heaven or something along those lines. Or maybe we don't even go that far. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on on its on its spillover into our, in our to our spiritual lives and faith.
1: The greatest danger we have to our lives and faith is thinking that the sins that we're committing aren't that bad. Mm. Yeah, they, listen, I'm not as I, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I haven't killed anybody. I'm not sleeping around. I'm not getting drunk anymore. But you know those little things that I still do, eh, you know, hey, I'm so much better, and God loves me as I am, right? The the second you take your foot off the gas on sin, remember, the slightest sin offends God, and, and this notion of having, quote-unquote, fear of God, fear of God is not being afraid of God. It's being so in love with someone that you don't You don't want to offend them in the slightest way possible. And again, I'm not calling you to be OCD or scrupulous, but it's like I dated. I there was obviously I was on a date and and there was there was a girl at one point in my life that I was we were so involved in each other and I was I wouldn't hang out with certain people because she said that they didn't make me a better person. They, They kind of brought me down. My language went down to the toilet. And so I when I was in her presence, I would want to be a better man. And so if that's what a woman can do for you, how much more do, should would God want to elevate us? And, and the key word, if, if there's going to be one word on the back of my tombstone, it's going to be the word presence. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is the thing that I, for me, I have to keep coming back to. Because if I constantly find myself in the presence of God, that God is not this distant deity, that he's right here with me. I'm going to be hyper attentive of the things that I say, of the stories I tell, of the language I use, of the behaviors, how, where my eyes go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, it's about a relationship. I think that's, I think what you're getting at. But it's amazing how these relationships played into your conversion. Uh, but, but there's something else that you, not only you became a priest. Uh, which was totally unexpected for you, uh, but then uh, there's this uh, this religious order that you are now a an integral part of, and I would love to hear about how that came to be as well, uh, and uh, how God kind of led you to that place where you said like I want to give my life in this way.
1: Yeah, well, it starts on that date, so. Um, as I was having these conversions, we sold the software company uh, when the market crashed in 2002. So it was invested four and a half million into it. We sold it for a million two, five. And so no one made the money we thought we were on it. But I did have enough cash to live for about a year without working. And I didn't I wasn't going to take all that time off, but I did intend taking three months off because I was so disenfranchised with business. And during that time, I started praying and saying, what did I want out of life? Business was not satisfying, so what would be? And in my mind, I said to myself, I wanna be a husband and a father more than anything else in my life. And then the next question came to me. If you meet the woman of your dreams today, would you be ready to marry her? And I sat and thought about it. I said, no, I wouldn't. And the reason I wouldn't is, and I had this most honest thought, I said, if I had a wife and children, I would want to pray with them every single night. But I myself am not that man of prayer today. See, I was a man who prayed, not a man of prayer. Mm-hmm. And there's a fundamental difference. So yeah.
0: I want you to know, I want to keep on going with with your with your conversion and, and entrance sure. into
1: your your religious order here. So I was a man of prayer, not a man who prayed. And uh, I'm sorry. I was a man who prayed, not a man of prayer yet. And I realized that I needed to become that man who, of prayer. I needed to be the man of her dreams today before I met her tomorrow. And, and that was one of the things that God impressed upon me. So from a business perspective, anytime you want to be good at something, you look at other people who are doing it, and you figure it out. So I called three of my guy friends. I'm like, Bill, Steve, John, what makes you guys such great husbands? And they're like, let me tell you. And so I'm taking notes. And then I call their wives. And I'm like, Sue, Jane, Jennifer, what makes your husband so amazing? And they're like, they're not that great. But let me, you know. (laughs) And uh, so I'm getting coached up. And I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian man and a Christian husband, and then ultimately a Christian father. About eight To 12 weeks into this, friends of mine introduced me to this beautiful Hispanic girl, Melissa Perez. And Melissa and I start courtship. We start just hanging out, getting to know each other, developing this friendship. And about eight weeks into this relationship, she calls me. and She goes, hey, there's a priest coming to my church. You want to come hang out? And I'm like, you know, I've never met a priest that had a pulse or seemed to like what he did. I I don't think so. And she goes, I think it'll be a good time. And I'm like, okay, time with you, time with God. What could go wrong? So... In the middle of this guy's talk, um, I have the most honest thought that I've ever had in my life. I'm sitting there in the middle of this 30, 40-minute presentation thinking to myself, if this priest says I'm signing people up in the back to become priest, I'll go. I don't know what I'll tell Melissa or my family, but I'll do it. Within 20 seconds of that thought, Melissa, the girl I'm sitting next to, elbows me in the side and she whispers to me, hey, are you sure you're not supposed to be a priest? <laughs> wow, and 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 I freeze. I freak out interiorly. I'm losing it, and and I turn and I look at the tabernacle and I said, Lord, I said, listen, if this priest as much as references the priesthood, if he says the word priest one time, I, I'll I'll stand up. I will fulfill that comment. I, I will follow through with it. But he has to say it. That did not count. Has to be him. And so, um, so I gave, so the priest didn't say anything. I walked out of church that night. I was freaked out. I was spooked. That happened in November of 2002. Fast forward to February, four months later, the thought of being a priest bothers me every single day. One of my friends says, which is better for your life, your plan or God's? And I'm like, well, probably God's. He says, okay, so do this. He goes, why don't you talk to someone about it? Here's the name of a priest I think you'll connect with. I said, okay. So I drive across town, knock on this door, and out walks the same priest that was in Austin four months earlier. I literally shook his hand and said, my name is Kenji Racy. I think I'm supposed to be a priest. Yeah.
2: That is wild. Uh, incredible. Like uh, how God led you down that path so yep. clearly. Like, uh, sometimes people talk about discernment and it's just kind of like this paralysis of like, I don't know what to do, but, but God didn't leave you in that place. Like you made it very clear, very quickly. Yeah.
1: What well, part, of my, part of my discernment journey, Sam, this started with the questions of how did I end up with the Fathers of Mercy? It was that, and this is the best advice that I can give a young man discerning. Pick a direction and step on the gas pedal. Mm-hmm. Hit it. Go right? Don't, don't, well, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to daily mass. I'm going to say a rosary. No, get, get active. You know, when a young man or woman tells me they're discerning marriage, I asked him, I said, can you write me a two page, single space, 12 point font paper with one inch margins on the church's position on marriage? If you can't yeah, go figure it out. Not that I, not that you need to write, but if you can't start to articulate God's plan for marriage, how do you expect to live it? The same thing with the religious life. What do you know about the priesthood? What do you know about religious life? What do you know about the diocese you're in, right? And so so if, if we're constantly looking for a comfortable step to step out in onto, it's not going to be there. You've, God is a run and jump God. You sling yourself off the edge of the pool and he's sitting there with his arms open. He'll catch you.
0: Yeah. Amen. I, I, that is powerful. And I, I just love, I love the, the, the call to action. Right. I, and that's, that's so great, but I'm just, again, overwhelmed with how, uh, direct and inspired, but what graces you were receiving along the way to, to kind of know, for instance, that, um, that, uh, this could be a possibility in your life, being a priest, right? To hear that voice and to respond to it, but not God works with us, right? He had four more months to kind of figure it out. It wasn't yep. it wasn't just that, that jolt, but that's just so powerful. But I do carry on the uniqueness of your order and what inspired you to join the Fathers of Mercy and not the Benedictines or the Franciscans or a diocesan priest or something along those
1: lines. The best advice I received when I started to recognize this call of the priesthood, um, a priest asked me, the first priest I really spoke to outside of this this priest that I encountered that one day, um, he said, if you close your eyes and see yourself as a priest today, what would it look like? And my knee-jerk response was hearing confessions and preaching. And he said, because you gave a very specific charism, a very specific ministry action. He goes, you should start looking at religious orders, specifically religious orders that focus on confession and preaching. And, and he said, I'm not saying you're called to that, but I wouldn't be surprised. He, he said, you know, if you would have said, Oh, I see myself, you know, offering mass and doing baptisms and marriage and, you know, and, you know, okay, that's the diocesan description. So, mm-hmm. so a, a quick distinction for your listeners the a diocesan priesthood versus religious life, it's it's not about picking the one you want. It's identifying where is God calling me? Mm. And so the call to the diocesan priesthood is a call to serve a people of a geography, to do all of the many ministries of the priesthood in a geography to a specific people, where the call to religious life is to specialize in one or two charisms, one or two elements of the priesthood. So we specialize in the ministry, but we are geographically diverse based on the religious order. So one is a call to the people of a geography to serve them kind of as the shepherd of souls, where religious life is a call to a specific ministry, a specific terrorism and to specialize in that apostolate. So it's a call to that terrorism that, um, of the community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, but your Father's
1: of Mercy have a very unique charism. And why don't you share that with our listeners? So we are traveling itinerant preachers. We are traveling confessors and preachers. Um, I spend seven months of my year traveling, going from parish to parish, re-evangelizing a community. Um, we call these parish missions. Uh, the Baptists call them revivals. Uh, we were doing it many years before they existed. I'm not just saying it. Um, <laughs> but uh but we uh we that's our job and so we are we are our founder if you can see my badge it's got the image of the father and prodigal son mm-hmm. and our role as missionary priests is to bring the mercy of god to the people of god father rosan founded us in 1808 and he was right in the aftermath of the French Revolution to bring about the renewal of the faith in France. And so our role as Fathers of Mercy today is to go out and re-evangelize the fallen away Catholics and Christians in our world. And so and try to encourage those people to come home. And so this is first done through the first call of the gospel. I mean, when you look at what Jesus said, his first words, repent and believe. And so that call to repentance, that call to be sorry for your sins, and then believe—believe as a verb—to live this faith that we're talking about. Yeah, so cool.
2: Yeah, I love that. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Don't you spend a lot of time like on the road, but also a lot of time in like prayerful, silent contemplation? I would love to hear you expand on. The value of both, because I think a lot of times we think of missionary activity, we think of, you know, going here, going there, but also like you have a unique emphasis on contemplation and and silent prayer. So I'd love to hear you explain what that looks like and how that's affected your missionary activities.
1: Yes, at the heart of a Father of Mercy, we're very much contemplatives, um, and it's it's that's the call. Father Bill Casey will always mentions to us that the call to this type of ministry is one of the rarest in the church because when we're at home, we're very much contemplatives. You have a very set horarium, a very strict schedule, but then when you're on the road, the only thing consistent is inconsistency. So it's it's like breathing out of both lungs of this this totally active apostolate. But when you're at home, being in the presence of God, and so so we really have to develop this prayer life that builds our faith. Um, you know, Father uh, Chad Ripinger. You know, he's he's an exorcist, and he's talking about this community that he's founding, and he says they founded this community of contemplatives because they need a prayer life that supports the ministry that they're doing. They said they can't do that ministry of exorcism without that strong prayer life. And the exact same thing is true with us. When I joined, I asked, "How do you train your men to preach?" In my mind, you know, being an accomplished preacher, you've got to have all these oratory skills, and there's best practices. Um, Father Casey told me, he said, "He goes, I understand your question. He goes, but but you're making a, a fundamental mistake. Our fruitfulness and success does not come from our preaching ability. It comes from our prayer life. Eighty mm-hmm. percent of our success comes from praying." not preaching. Now that 20% of showing up, that 20%, you've got to nail it. You've got, you cannot be slack. You've got to get in there and execute at the highest level because you get one shot to execute in in presentation. But for for months going into an event, I'm offering masses. I'm praying novenas, I'm fasting. I'm doing different penances in preparation. I'm calling in the heavy air support, so to speak, to till the ground before my boots even hit the ground. You know, normally before I do a set of events, I offer a novena of masses for that event and then whatever bodily penances that I choose to to participate in. So it's very much this notion that when we our fruitfulness as missionaries comes from our prayer life. So that 80-20 rule, just very simple about our, I told you I lived seven months of the year on the road. But we live such a devout prayer life at home. Our liturgies are exceptional. They are just unbelievable in that regard. Um, and when you look at our liturgies, you know, we offer the ordinary forum, but we celebrate auto orientum. Um, we have the communion rail. Our church is just magnificent. And we do all of these things at home to the highest level, the smells, the bells, the chant. So it is interiorized in me. So when I go out to a happy, clappy parish that has none of these externals, <laughs> I'm going to offer mass the exact same way as I do on a picnic table in you know in the middle of the mountains of Haiti as I would at my home chapel or St. Peter's Basilica, mm-hmm. right? It, it's, I'm, the presence of God doesn't change. The attention to prayer doesn't change. My time of, of adoration and holy hours daily doesn't change it just becomes more difficult when i'm on the road how do i get my prayer time in on the road you got to get creative but but for us my life breath everything that for me comes from my prayer life and i know that if i'm not praying i will not be fruitful and it, and it makes it makes life so so difficult when you if you do slack off a little bit
0: yeah, man, over and over, if you're not praying, <clears throat> your life's not going to be successful, amen, because our success is not found in ourselves. I love that. That is just so good. I also really love how you talked about tilling the soil before you get there. I think that's such a beautiful um, metaphor, a beautiful example for us to put an image in our minds. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And now you do. We're shifting. Well, you've got a clarion call to men, to, to all Christian and Catholic believers, um, that we are in about battle we are in battle and prayer being one of the the spiritual weapons that we have at our disposal but you just came out with this this powerful book here that um that is for the spiritual battle of today and it's a clarion call like i said uh to to really be aware of this and i think we do we see in revelations um which uh that that we are in battle right that uh that satan is is full on you know making war with uh with us um the offspring of of eve now the offspring of mary our blessed mother and we don't know that we just are kind of uh um asleep at the wheel so to speak and and you are fully aware of that and so i'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh spiritual warfare today and how we experience it and some of the things that you're doing to to bring clarity to this situation
1: yeah i would love to say that i was fully aware of it i, I think i have a <laughs> i have a just a deeper sense of it because of the realities of my ministry um you know one of the things that people ask me all the time why is spiritual warfare number one such a hot topic number two why are we lacking in an awareness of it and at the end of the day we're all so busy we're so intoxicated so to speak we're drunk on our own lives i mean you know you've got number 6 right so you yeah, know we're, we're dealing six. with you know, you're 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 up your eyeballs in children and activities and then and then trying to get this one over here and that one over here and it's it's you know it's it's that's not a bad thing you're living your vocation and that's what winning looks like thanks be to yeah. god guys amen thank you but But it becomes so in our worlds become so enveloped by the things that we're doing, we forget the sense of the reality of what are the externals that are happening around us. Um, And so one of the things that this book is doing is that it's number one pointing towards recognizing that we are under attack. The devil has declared war on humanity. On us, and so specifically those who try to keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus, it explicitly says that the devil has declared war on those people. And so, when someone declares war on you, you don't get to be like, "Okay, I don't, I don't want to play war. Thank you very much. I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to, I'm going to have my latte." Um, and right. no, that you're, you're going to get rolled over if you're not engaging and responding to that. And so you have to have the proper weapons, you have to have the the tool set to be able to, one, discern and recognize the attack that's taking place, but then number two, respond back to be on the offensive. That's one of the most frustrating parts as a Catholic today is that it feels like we're always on the defensive, we're always in the response mode, and very rarely are we out there leading, you know, teaching, showing, guiding And so that's our role as a church is to be that bright light in the world to lead people to heaven, not to be this welcoming, you know, you know, welcome center on the side of the freeway. Um, Our role is to lead people to heaven. So when we look at this reality, we have to have that tool set to fight. And so that's what that's what this new book is about. But but specifically, this is the big emphasis of my mission preaching now. Is because so many people feel overwhelmed. They turn on the news, they look at the media, their workplaces, the, you know, the, the World Health Organization, um, you know, I mean, it is coming from every level. And how do we fight?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate you just quickly calling to the noise of our day, because I do think that that's something very unique that we have to be aware of. Um, and what it's doing to our attention what it's doing to our prayer life what it's doing to our relationships that we're trying to build and that's exactly what you you went to because that's unique today that wasn't uh, even 30 40 years ago it, w- it was different we're all always in in spiritual warfare and and in battle against Satan but we have these the the enemy has these these new weapons if you will and I'm not going as far to say that technology is is a weapon of of evil but it can be used and it is being used successfully so I really appreciate you you're going directly there.
1: Yeah, I I call these, you know, it's so easily to disrupt the presence that we have to God. My favorite prayer that I pray, and I pray this before every single mass that I offer, but I also pray it throughout my day. Uh, I'm praying, Lord, help me be present to you as you are present to me. And if if I can just get back into the presence of God, and and there's a great little book by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrections called Practicing the Presence of God, classic Catholic, uh, classically yeah. Catholic, right? Um, but but being in His presence, it stills everything else. I mean, literally, if if any of your viewers are listening and they're struggling in prayer right now, just say that prayer. Stop, just pause your, everything in your life for, for what however much time you can, two, three, four seconds, and just say, Lord, I want to be in your presence. Help reveal yourself to me and see yourself standing before the throne of God in his emanating glory with the angels around him. And if you do that for one or two seconds a day, five or six times a day, you're going to find everything shifting, everything changing.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in uh, some of the old prayer books, they always have this little uh, thing at the beginning of like devotional meditations where it's like place yourself in the presence of God. And I think it's important to emphasize that it's not that we're placing ourselves in the presence of God, we're becoming aware of the presence of God because he's already there. Mm -hmm. But so often we're just somewhere else. We're not aware of that, that presence that permeates everything. Um, but I, I want to ask you real quick. So the title of your book is is about, about spiritual warfare and, and, and the relationship to divine mercy. Um, and I think it's an intriguing concept because I think so often as Catholics who, as you said, look around our culture, get overwhelmed, get distressed about kind of how far humanity has uh, gone astray from the Father and just all the disorder and sin and chaos in the world and violence and all of these things um we look around and we get we get upset i think it's a it's i've you know I've had enough conversations with enough different catholics to to hear like this this distress and even anger at the culture at large and 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 in that anger is housed like a cry for justice like we want justice We like we want to we all we want people to like you know uh just be punished for their sins almost you know like it's almost like this zeal which could you know sometimes feels like righteous anger but it but can also be kind of like this hostility to those in the culture who are have gone astray and yet there's this concept of mercy which is very interesting because you know if like world war ii general macarthur was like all right we're going to war our number one weapon is going to be mercy like all the all the gis would have been like <laughs> what you know like that doesn't make any sense And yet what you're saying is like mercy is integral to uh, the spiritual battle in which we're engaged. And so I'd love to hear you share a little bit about the relationship between mercy and
1: spiritual warfare. Well, you've got this reality that, that we're not fighting for a place here on Earth. We're fighting for our eternal salvation. When the lights go out, when we die, you have two options. It's either heaven or hell. Right. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. There's no middle ground. So, and again, you know, the purgation process to purify you for heaven. But this is where God's mercy comes in, is that He's He's saying, This is I am the way, right? What God is saying is He's saying, Jesus is saying, I am the way, so follow me. But part of this divine mercy message, and it's gotten a lot of flack in Catholic communities because it makes promises such as the soul that venerates this image once will not lose their soul, right? This, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's, it, the soul that venerates this image will not lose their reward. The soul that prays the chaplet one time will not lose their reward. And so it's making these bold, bold promises. And so if there's bold promises associated to it, there has to be that much greater power coming from these devotions than ever before. Part of the problem that we have in our culture today, and again, I'm not trashing Vatican II, but for the last 60 years, the church has fundamentally failed in communicating the truths of our faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, my generation, the 80s, 90s, even in the 2000s, literally the number of Catholics that have fallen away from the faith versus come into the faith or live their faith or grown their faith. I mean, it, it's the numbers don't lie. And so we are getting taken to the slaughterhouse from a secular and from an eternal salvation perspective. And so God is offering these last chances of his mercy. So in this battle for souls, I liken it to a store that's going out of business. Um, the first week or two of a store going out of business, it says 15% off everything, right? And then a couple of weeks later, it's 30% off then 50% off. And then right before the store closes, There's a sign on the door that says no reasonable offer will be refused. And so that's where I feel we're at in salvation history is that our Lord told Faustina that you will prepare the world for my second coming. And so if Faustina almost, it was 90 years ago, was to prepare the world for the second coming, how are we to respond to that? You know, in the end times, things are going to be so crazy. God is just giving us these options to grasp, to grope, to reach Him. And He says, Listen, just get to me and I'll take care of it. Now, again, if a person just reaches for the divine mercy and fails to come into the church, right, if they know better, we call that obstinance. It's not, it doesn't make the church secondary. Yeah. But if all they have is God's mercy, then they will receive it. Purgatory is going to stink, but. Yeah. No,
0: that is so many good points and I mean you went through the 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 battles internally in the church as well as um uh this this power of mercy in our end times. I just loved a lot of what you're saying and you did you, you reminded me and I don't I think it was from her diary where where Christ told her that those who don't enter in through the door of my mercy must enter in through the door of my justice. Um you know and and I and it, it is it's such a it's such a powerful message and and I heard that that quote that i'm just bringing up here you know at a uh at a fraternity parish you know with with a latin mass priest and and things like that and it was very powerful and very moving you know coming from her and this is this is the times that we are in so i really appreciate that uh, talk a little bit more about the battle itself like um we're talking kind of high level uh in the sense of we are in battle you know we know that satan is always but we've already alluded to it right at the beginning like when you decided to become a Catholic or a more practicing Catholic, like Satan didn't give up. It wasn't like, he's like, oh goodness, I've lost him. He's now a priest, right? He's right. attacked you in different ways. And so I'd love for you to hear about the, uh, talk about the reality of that to really kind of impress upon our listeners and the men that, that, that nobody is free from this until we die. And we've got the the four last things that we experience. you know, so I, I'd love to, I'd love you to talk a little bit more about that
1: well it's it's vectoring right if you strengthen yourself in, in this department well you've got all of this gap over here the devil just pivots right oh lost you got lost under control no problem let's let, let me go to another you know vice words <laughs> Um, You know, it's, it's, it's the craziest thing that the devil is constantly pivoting. St. Augustine talks about kind of four levels of diabolic attack and it's temptation, um, temptation, infestation, uh, obsession, oppression, and then ultimately possession. Um, And uh, if if you have not seen the movie Nefarious, I I encourage your viewers to get out there and watch that movie because it really shows the far extreme of perfect subjugation to the devil in Mm -hmm. this possessed individual. Um, So that's where it all leads. But the devil is going to hit you from all of these different angles, trying to weaken you, trying to get you to compromise. Going back to my original conversion, that, that failure in authenticity and integrity. To find those weak spots and to exploit those weak spots. And so again, it might be driving. It might be the way you parent. It might be the way that you converse. It might be how you spend your free time. Um, you know, the, this matriarch of this parish community that I was at, she came up to me one day and she said, father, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That. So true. And how does busyness erode the soul? I mean, you know, the, and and how does divine mercy, the message of divine mercy, kind of break through some of these subtler spiritual attacks that we can
1: fall into? Well, it goes back to that whole concept of presence, right? Our our, our role as Catholics, our role as Christians, of believers, it's not about saying the formulas and doing a set number of things. It's about being in the presence of another. See, for a Christian, when we die. Our reward is different than any other religion, right? For Mohammeds, you know, for Islam, you get 72 virgins, right? Other people, you get golden. Someone gets a planet, right? For us, our reward is the person of God. And so the way we live heaven now, not yet, is putting ourselves in his presence. So this attack of the devil of, quote-unquote, busyness, making us busy, it contracepts, so to speak, our capacity to be presence to God. I mean, try that at home. I mean, and maybe this has happened in your marriages, but you're both running around doing things and you're sitting there trying to have a serious conversation, but you're packing a lunch or you're, you know, packing a suitcase, you're juggling 10 things. And one of you might say, hey, hey, stop, put your stuff down. Come here, look at me in the face and talk to me. Yeah. Right. So busyness is that is that great attack. So where Divine Mercy comes into this, and really this is the heart of the book, is that that, that section on the Divine Mercy chaplet. I mean, if, if anybody reads this book and you, know, you only want to read five minutes of it, read that section on the chaplet because it forces us. It calls us to be present to God the Father as we pray that chaplet and to really being aware of what you're doing and what you're saying. Most people don't realize that when you pray the chaplet, number one, you're speaking to God the Father, so we need to see him, that the chaplet is an action. We're doing something when we pray, and then the, the mystical realities of the connection that we have in that, and if we if we understand this more fully, then the chaplet becomes more alive, our faith exponentially grows, and it gives us greater opportunity to be more present in a shorter amount of time.
0: Yeah, no, that's so excellent. I, it's 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 so beautiful. And to that point, so that we're not misinterpreting the book as as just one thing. I know you bring up a lot more of the weapons that we have at our disposal, like the rosary and the mass and things like that. So take a moment and chat a little bit more about um, uh, yeah other weapons that we have
1: at our disposal. Well, and it's all the, the whole, I mean, the greatest weapon, the way that we fight the you know fight the devil, we, we use these combative terms because that's what the catechism uses, yeah. that's what scripture uses, because it is a battle. Um, but the way that the, our greatest weapon is to make that interior light of Christ burn more brightly in us. And so this is the beautiful part of our faith is that there's not one single formula to do that. Each person has their own temperament, their own flavors. We each have our own patron saint, so to speak, that chose us, that in devotions that that appeal to us. So I'm not going to say you have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to pray the chapel. You have to pray the rosary. You, you know, no, you you have to discover what is the thing that lights your candle and adds fuel to that fire. And how do we do that more brilliantly? And so I illuminate certain things in the in this is is developing a daily plan of prayer and how and what a daily plan of prayer should look like, you know, of the 168 hours of our week, how much time do we dedicate to prayer? I mean, that's a good point of reflection for our, our viewers right now. Yeah. So, you know, in tithing, you know, if we're supposed to give 10% back to God, do is 16 hours of my week dedicated to God? You know, it's that's it's a hard question, right? So how can we do it? And not about necessarily the formula, but how do we do it with a greater heart, greater attentionality? Um, if we can have amazing quality of prayer, the quantity will take care of itself.
2: I love that. Yeah. And and again, this theme of presence, you know, just attention, attending to god who as kind of eastern christians say like it's everywhere present and filling all things like just being attending to that presence and to the extent that these devotions facilitate that they're doing what they're supposed to but to the extent that they are just busy work or checking a box on a on a schedule that we've created for ourselves um it it's missing the point. And I I love that about that, that theme you keep coming back to about presence, being in God's presence. And also that, that changes our disposition to others that come into our lives and like seeing other people differently. Um, But I just, just kind of my last question would be, let's say someone's under spiritual attack right now. Like maybe they feel oppressed in some way, like interiorly, they just, something is not right, they can't pray, they can't, they just, they just feel like all these temptations swarming them, maybe think bad, like, you know, temporal things keep up, you know, being upset around them, like, and they just feel under attack, spiritually speaking. Um, What would be your recommendation to someone who's going through that right now, to kind of break free of that through God's mercy?
1: Very simply right now, make the sign of the cross, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and just say, Lord Jesus, in your precious blood, bind Satan and any of his companion spirits and any spirits that might be attacking me, bind them in your precious blood and send them to the foot of the cross for you to deal with as you will. That's that's an immediate prayer we can say right now, whether it's 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 lust, whether it's these, this bigger temptation that you're describing. So that's number one. Number two is, is check your own house, so to speak. You know, one of the times, a lot of times people will come to us and say, father, I've got this spiritual mess in my house, my house. Will you help, you know, clean it up? Yeah, sure. We're happy to come look, but they bring us over to their quote unquote home. And there's this huge puddle of water under their window and it's raining outside, but the window is wide open. And you say, well, hey, I, I, hey, let's let's close that window, and then clean up the mess, right? Yeah. Father, hey, do you mind? I, I invited you over here to help clean up the puddle. Not tell me how to run my house. Yeah. Yeah. So, check your own house. Are there windows open? Is there something I have done to invite this into our home? You know, a lot of times, specifically for men, we struggle with with lust, with custody of the eyes. Some guys are struggling with with pornography, acts of impurity. What are we doing throughout our day that feeds that? I mean, that's an animal that it's like cancer. If you feed it, it will it will be alive and it will stay alive. So even if I'm not looking at explicit material, but if I'm doom scrolling throughout my day, three or four times a day, and just, just constantly indulging myself throughout my day, what's gonna happen when my will weakens by the end of the evening, and I've already been hitting that dopamine pump all day, And I need more to satisfy the intellect. Yeah. I've got to reach for something stronger. And that's going to be pornography or something in that genre that will lead me to that hit that high and then potentially fall into those acts of impurity. So again, if we're just watching natural things, ESPN sports videos, we're constantly indulging throughout our day. If you indulge throughout your day, what's going to happen at night? You're going to indulge. But if you're disciplined throughout your day, If you're you're prayerful throughout your day, if you're guarding yourself throughout your day, what's going to happen at night? See, the way we practice is the way we perform. Absolutely.
0: Well, Father, it's been such a blessing. I'm so excited that you were able to join us and what an edifying conversation. So I wanna make sure that we have a time here for your final thoughts to men and uh, and living the spiritual battle and where they can find your book. It is not a long book, man. I'm gonna tell you it's 140 pages or so. It's a very accessible and easy read. Um, and so I encourage you to definitely check it out. I'm gonna put that in the show notes. I'll put that prayer in the show notes that Father just mentioned as well. But Father, where can they not only uh, find this information. Uh, what do you hope their their ultimate takeaway is?
1: So you can find this at tanbooks.com or on amazon.com. If you just search spiritual warfare and divine mercy, it will come right up. Um beautiful cover. Um I think my final takeaway for the men, as it relates to the book, is I spend an excessive amount of time talking about the Divine Mercy Chaplet as an extension of the liturgy of the Eucharist. And when you pray the chaplet, it is an action. It is an offering. And it's that drawing upon those graces of Calvary, the graces of the mass, upon you, your intention, and the place that you're at. If if I were to just to focus on one thing in my ministry, it's that message at this point in time. Because it's that Calvary that the greatest battle is won. So, too, now if we're fighting ourselves, this is the greatest accessibility for that battle. And so, I think from the spiritual warfare perspective, we as men, we like doing things. The rosary is a meditation, the chaplet is an action, right? Eternal Father, I offer. And so, you're offering. So, it's a great action prayer for us men to do. Uh, Another point that I would like to make is that any of you men are considering the priesthood? The Father's mercy need manly men. We need men of of integrity. We need men who are letting their yes be yes, no be no, that are striving for sexual sobriety, that are men of the church who love Christ and who want to bring that message of God. So we need men who want to be traveling confessors and preachers. So if any of you guys are, are thinking about the priesthood, please look up... Uh, our vocation director, Father Joseph Morgan. So, uh, but we're in this fight together, guys, and and I'm praying for all of you.
0: Thank you so very
2: well, much. Father. Thank you, Father, for your your, your Holy Spirit inspired passion and enthusiasm. Uh, the God's clearly giving you just that charisma of of energy and uh, just uh, just that gift to communicate these truths to our hurting world that really needs God's mercy more, more than ever. So thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thanks, Sam. Thanks, John.
0: Yeah. What a blessing. So as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a
2: saint.